Bond. James Bond. Sorry, I'm not Daniel Craig, as you can tell. I'm Randy Overbeck, and this is my way to welcome you to great stories about great storytellers. For this episode, I'm going to profile the man who invented the most famous secret agent ever. That agent is, of course, James Bond, and his creator is Ian Fleming. Fleming produced a total of 12 novels and nine short stories featuring the intrepid spy, which together sold more than 100 million copies to date, making them one of the best-selling series of all time. Equally impressive, the book spawned the most successful movie franchise in history. In fact, it would be hard to find someone who has not heard of Bond, James Bond. Right here, I'll admit a guilty secret. I've read quite a few of the Bond books and have seen most of the movies. And as I've watched and read about the breathtaking escapes, the beautiful women, the fast cars, and the expensive meals... I couldn't help but wonder how much is fiction and how much is real life laid on the page. Ian Fleming, 1908 to 1964, was born into a wealthy family, his father a partner in a major bank, a member of parliament, and sadly, a casualty of World War I. Ian was educated at the finest schools, including Eton. However, Ian was not a high achiever in academics, and often found himself in trouble for skipping school, (laughs) entertaining girls, and driving fast cars, all the while earning the contempt of the headmaster, who took pleasure in beating him. This headmaster wrote to his mother complaining of Ian's, quote, slick hair, his free-willing handling of his car, and his relationship with women. Sound like anyone we know? Ian did earn recognition as a gifted athlete, winning the top athletic award in the school. He also edited the school paper and wrote his first short story there at Eton. Next, he attended Sandhurst Military College, but the military life hardly suited him, and he left after a year somewhat dishonorably, having contracted gonorrhea. Already the black sheep in the family, Ian was sent to a school in Austria to polish his knowledge of language in hopes of preparing him for possible entry into the foreign service. While there in Austria, he found his muse, the headmistress, who convinced him he really could write. Bowing to pressure from his mother, though, he tried his hand at the family trade, but discovered working with figures a bit too stuffy for him. He moved into journalism, traveling the world and covering many of the exotic locations he'd later use in his tales. After World War II broke out, he found his way into intelligence work when he was selected as the personal assistant to Rear Admiral John Godfrey, Director of British Naval Intelligence. Fleming shone in this role, in part because of his journalistic experience and contacts, and ended up playing an important role in the evolution of wartime espionage in England and the U.S. He was even involved in planning a strategy entitled Operation Goldeneye. Hmm, where have we heard that name before? After the war, he returned to journalism writing for the London Sunday Times. Like Bond, Ian Fleming was quite the womanizer. Going back to his days at Eton, through his training in Austria, 
his time in the war office and after, he was reputed to have affairs with a long list of women. The woman he did eventually marry, Anne Charteris, was already married to another man. He had an affair with her, which resulted in a child. When she was several months pregnant, they decided to marry. According to biographers, he wrote his first novel, Casino Royale, as a way to distract himself from the impending nuptials. Fleming's life and personality, from his wartime espionage service and his caving and shark hunting, to his and his family's hobnobbing with the rich and famous, when Fleming's father died, Winston Churchill wrote the obituary, all these provided Ian Fleming with rich personal experiences to draw from in penning his novels. Like Bond, Ian Fleming lived hard and died early. Fleming was a heavy smoker and drinker and succumbed to a heart attack at the age of only 53, allowing a mere 12 years to write his famous stories. Ian Fleming's fiction captured a fantasy the post-war world desperately needed. At a time when people were recovering from the effects of war, coping with shortages and rationing, his hero, James Bond, provided the perfect escape. Bond, with his propensity for gambling and fast cars, became the prototype of the handsome, clever playboy of the late 50s and 60s. He was the symbol in the West of the burgeoning consumer age, indulging in only the best brand name products and enjoying access to the foremost electronic gadgets of his day. So much so, his books all became international bestsellers. Here's an interesting fact. Fleming's novels became major successes in the U.S. due in part to President John F. Kennedy's listing a Bond novel among his favorites in 1961. Bond's novels spawned a whole industry of of Bond-related products, from toys and games to clothes and toiletries, one of the first to extend the literary brand into other areas. He was also one of the first to have other famous authors take up his tale and characters in posthumous novels, those continuing for decades, the latest carte blanche by acclaimed thriller writer Jeffrey Deaver in 2011. Of course, the movies are how most people know Bond, James Bond, starting with Dr. No in 1960 run and running through No Time to Die in 2021. Thus far, Hollywood has produced 25 screen adaptations of Fleming's work, easily outpacing all other film franchises. Admittedly, many of the movie adaptations deviate from Fleming's original plots. But the man at the center, the suave, athletic, handsome hero, anti-hero James Bond, is largely the character Fleming envisioned. Having seen most of the movies and read many of Fleming's original works, I'd have to say the James Bond on the page comes through as more human, more fallible, and less like a slick super spy than the one portrayed on the screen. Fleming, like any successful artist, had more than his share of critics. His books were roundly criticized by many reviewers when they were released. One critic lambasted the Bond phenomena in a famous essay essay entitled Sex, Snobbery, and Sadism. The well-known spy novelist John LeClaire criticized Bond's immorality, writing, He's sort of a licensed criminal who, in the name of false patriotism, approves of nasty crimes.
readers didn't care. They loved the books anyway. For decades, feminists have objected to Bond's chauvinistic ways, his objectifying of female beauty and his portrayal of women as sex objects. They certainly have a valid point. One of Fleming's most famous quotes is, men want a woman whom they can turn on and off like a light switch. Oh, that certainly wouldn't fly today. Also, Fleming's portrayal of the Negroes is at best uneven, and some have said racist. But Fleming was a man of a different age, and his writing reflects that. So why have these Bond stories, which were so solidly set in the Cold War era, with mores reflected of that era, managed to survive and even prosper some 70 years later? We'll try to answer that question after a few words from the sponsor of this episode, Green County Library, where you can always have something great to read, watch, or listen to. At Green County Library, cardholders simply need to download the Hoopla and Libby apps onto their smartphone, e-reader, or tablet, and start enjoying both of the library's extensive digital collections. From the latest release... To your favorite classics, access ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, movies, and shows, and so much more. Your library is as close as your pocket. Start reading, watching, and listening today by downloading Hoopla and Libby and logging on with your Green County Public Library card. Of course, you can learn more at greenlibrary.info. Now, back to the great story of Ian Fleming. In many ways, Bond, James Bond, is just as popular today as he was when readers first met him in the pages of Casino Royale in 1953. The latest movie adaptation, No Time to Die, with Daniel Craig in the role of Bond, earned critical review and became one of the top-grossing films last year. People still flock to see the latest exploits of, quote, the world's most famous secret agent. The answer to the longevity of the brand lies in that, I believe. From the first Cold War novel to the latest story drawn from a modern technology horror, Ian's Fleming character is, quote, the man for the job. Many authors anchor their story and characters in the time and place depicted. And readers may sometimes have difficulty seeing beyond the narrative Created as great and as captivating as that story may be. Ian Fleming, on the other hand, had the ability to create an unusual, idiosyncratic, credible character whom readers found so compelling that character is able to survive beyond the immediate world of Fleming's novels. Of course, Ian Fleming's not alone in this. Think of Jane Austen's memorable characters or Bram Stoker's Dracula. However, this is an important lesson for all all aspiring writers. Is your protagonist, hero, or heroine an unusual, idiosyncratic, credible character your readers will find compelling and be able to relate to? He or she may be the reason your story becomes a one-trick pony or is one readers will want to ride for years. Of course, I'm no Ian Fleming, and my Daryl Henshaw is no James Bond. But readers have found the protagonist of my Haunted Shore Mysteries, quote, 
very human and flawed, quirky but likable, believable and relatable, interesting and engaging. That's just a few of the comments from Amazon reviewers. If you haven't had a chance yet to check out the three award-winning novels in my series, you can find their info at my website, authorrandyoverbeck.com. There you can also catch up on any of the pod, any of the podcast episodes you might have missed. Of course, you can get this episode and all the others wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for great stories about great storytellers. Until next time, keep reading those great stories, and I hope one of them is mine.